seems to me that your Wing Chun fist is the fastest. Wi-Fi back paw. Let's see who fists are the fastest. Yours or mine? Everyone, welcome to episode 46 of Vague Zone. I'm your host, Thomas. And I'm Daniel. And today we are talking about It Man 3 from 2015. We are doing our franchise run through the It Man series. We've covered the first and second franchises, and now we are here at the third. And joining us is the man who suggested this franchise. Welcome back to the program, Mr. Max Burwald. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely happy to have you on. And I, I can't say this again. I'm so happy you suggested this franchise because watching this franchise has just been a highlight of like my July and it's like past month and a half or so. It's because, yeah, the progression of these movies has just been quite fantastic. And I guess since you're our guest, what did you uh, actually before we have to do our uh, yeah the synopsis. So, Daniel, can you read the IMDb <laughs> synopsis for us? Getting yeah, sure. Uh, when a band of brutal gangsters led by a crooked property developer make a play to take over a local school, Master Ip is forced to take a stand. What did you think? What do you think about Ip Man Three, Max? Well, before before I say anything about Ip Man Three, I just wanted to sort of uh, like talk about my experience with this franchise a little bit because when I first saw, I think I saw Ip Man One on a plane, and hmm. I have to say that at the time I was very unimpressed. I didn't really understand the appeal. I just felt a bit, a bit flat, a bit um, self-serious. I don't, I don't know. Obviously, the first one is dealing with really heavy themes, um, but at the time, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't hitting. But yeah. over time, I came back. I watched the sequels, and that caused me to revisit the first one, and I found myself really liking this this franchise. Uh, I think part of what happened in the intervening time is that I really took time to explore the Shaw brothers um, sort of late 70s and 80s uh, yeah. and got deeper into sort of the Hong Kong martial arts tradition. And that allowed me to see the ways in which these films are actually doing something quite different that, that deserves respect it's they they appeared less flat after i actually you know knew something about what the the late 70s and 80s had been like in hong kong uh, okay. uh action movies and in, in martial arts films so yeah i i all this is to say that i came around to this this series i was a hater sort of originally but <laughs> gotcha. but now i i think they really have unique um charms that are certainly on display in in this third one although i'm sure I, I've listened to the other, obviously, you guys is great, uh, other two episodes on the franchise. And so I'm anticipating a lot of hatred uh, for you guys, a lot of hating on this installment um, for reasons that we'll, we'll see if you'll tell me. But, <laughs> but, the, but the only thing I will say, the only thing I will say, I'm not sure, it might, Gavin might have mentioned it briefly, but the only thing I will say is that one thing I love through all of these films that is, does continue to be on display in the third installment is just really um, a loving, a loving amount of energy and attention to production design, to art design, mm. and to the recreation of a very particular, I believe, Foshan and some of the other installments, but in this case, a very loving and um, meticulous recreation of all of these places and all of these outfits and uh, even the Definitely, food yeah. <clears throat> from from this sort of vanished uh, 1950s, I believe, Hong Kong. So that that's that's all I'll bracket it with. Oh yeah, what did you um, what did you guys think of this installment? Thomas, go ahead. I I dig this one. I'm not as crazy about it. Yeah, I do think it is a little bit of a, a step down. It has more similarities to the second one than the first. I would say. Um, yeah, this is a, it's a weird one. It's like less action packed and there's a certain the plot with like the wife dealing with the cancer is certainly like kind of like spoiler a, alert sorry spoiler <laughs> sorry spoiler alert and it doesn't say i don't say what happens it's just she gets cancer i don't say what happens there's still amb ambiguous ambiguousness to the to that but with that said i think 
there's a lot of good stuff in this movie. Like, there's a really good dynamic with uh, the villain. I need to pull up the IMDb and check his name again. But I, I like the dynamic of, yeah, it man having this person who's, like, sort of on his side, but then eventually sort of, like, ends up challenging him towards the end. And I... Yeah, I, I just, I like this one. I think that it has some things that are strong and things that I enjoy about it. But overall, I would say, yeah, yeah even the the great casting of the, like, this villain, the person who, yeah, are like, big bad, so to speak, is really great. But yeah, this one is sort of, it's it just didn't leave as much of an impression. I did watch the other two movies twice, and I think that's why it's a little bit more seared in for those. But for this one, as I was watching it, I was like, it just didn't. Uh, it just didn't leap out quite as much as the other other two. Uh, Daniel, um, what do uh, you think? What, what's your? Yeah, <laughs> I I think I'm kind of like medium positive on this one. Um, I really enjoy the return to more grounded action. Uh, wire work kind of takes a back seat, and it's there to accentuate movements rather than to let uh, it man fly around the way it kind of did in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. When it comes to the plot, though, and just, like, the flow of the movie, um, I don't know. It feels like there's, like, one too many plot lines. Like, we have we have the school stuff and the stuff with Tin Chi, which I think is really interesting, and there's a lot of back and forth there. Uh, but at a certain point, one of the plot lines gets resolved, and we're left with this remainder of a movie that feels a little bit detached, and it feels like a lot of the momentum has been lost. Yeah. Um, so... Overall, it feels a little shapeless, and I, I feel like I kind of uh, found myself getting bored at moments, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. Which, which, which is the same because I feel like this uh, the action is really, really good in this movie. I was rewatching scenes because uh, I just like wanted to make sure I wasn't totally wrong in that assessment. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think these movies are these movies are pretty good. I, I would, I would show this to my mother who is like a big martial arts fan. I think uh, I, I like that this one is, it kind of sits alone. It's, it's a standalone movie. Um, yeah. You don't have to see the first two. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm positive on it, but I just feel like, I feel like it needed a rewrite. It needed a touch up. There was some stuff that I feel like they could excise from the, from the plots. Um, it's funny. You mentioned the yeah. thing about showing it to your mom and I was kind of, thinking the same thing i was like yeah this feels very superhero and almost like marvel in some way just the way that i don't know i'm I, i'm thinking it's more just about how the music is and just how like triumphant it all it always feels how like you know people are being saved there's like this big sequence in the middle of like you know a, a very grand rescue is happening and uh, it just felt like you know they make it man and this other guy feel more like you know like this is captain america showing up and just like you know just being it's like very patriotic what he's doing and also you know he's doing you know doing something with virtue and honor but yeah it's like it's in a way it's framed in a way that feels a lot larger than it actually is for the yeah the pretty grounded action even though it's like you know a lot of extras kind of clamoring and i feel like this one the nationalism like the patriotism of it kind of takes a back seat compared to the first two yeah. Um, yeah. So on that note, like, I feel like what we're watching happen um, and I, what I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on, because Dan was talking about, like, it seems like there, this one's a little bit confused. Like, there's just a lot of there's a lot of different threads, but it's unclear, like, where the emphasis is. And from my perspective, what what I think we're watching and it has in- interesting ramifications for how we read the other ones in the series is we're watching them fail to because in the first one, obviously, in all these films, the sort of nationalism and patriotism is very intense. These themes are really important mm-hmm. to the to the series. And it's interesting watching in the first movie, obviously it's, you know, the um, it's patriotism against the, the Japanese colonizing, yes. colonizers, um, yeah. Japanese empire. In the second one, we have the British empire and sort of um, the, the British are, are filling that role. And I think what we're really watching with this one is sort of fumbling the movement to another evil force. The best yeah. I can figure it out, I'd like to hear your guys' takes, but it's like, you know, property developers, it's corrupt, it's corruption, <laughs> it's colonial corruption. Certainly foreigners are involved, certainly Westerners are involved. There's an American involved, there's there's the British are involved as, as they would be, of course, colonial uh, rulers. But yeah, it's sort of corrupt, property developers working with local gangs as far as i can figure it well the phrase foreign devils does get mentioned a few times but i think this movie where the the first two movies kind of feel like these are important moments for china 
Uh, these are important yeah. moments for Hong Kong. Yeah, you're right. And you're right. this movie, it's like, well, this is something that's important for It Man. Um, and so, yeah, we're sort of like moving that lens over. Um, it doesn't feel like it, like it almost feels like a side story in the franchise of It Man movies. Like it, it, it's certainly an important moment in his life for, you know, reasons that become apparent towards the end of the movie. But um, yeah, it does this have the same sort of meaning for uh, the people of China, I guess. True. Yeah, I think, yeah, patriotic might have been, yeah, the wrong word to use. I think I latched on most to is the challenging of, like, what is true Wen Chung and sort of that conflict that sort of mm. rises to the end. And I, I really appreciate that and sort of, yeah, just those conflicts. But, yeah, what you mentioned, Max, is totally on point. Yeah, the character Fatso gets a little bit more involved in this one. There's, like, an identical, like, colonial white police officer, like, angry character who almost, like, looks very similar to the last guy doing basically the same thing. But yeah, but instead the, uh, the like main like uh, source of corruption is Mike Tyson. And so we have that like great, like, I don't know, just entirely just an is it anachronistic or, or I don't know what you want to call it, but yeah, just sort of just twisting his history and just adding this really formidable real life boxer into this mythos of, this character and so yeah it just seems really odd that there is that like foreign devil thing but yeah the foreign devil is like this somewhat like beloved fighter that like is, is like everyone from the 90s like sort of like really enjoys to watch fight and so yeah it's just yeah it's, it's great fucking thing the foreign devil is there to put butts in seats yeah i think <laughs> definitely i think the generous i think the generous way to read this would be like wow, you know, they tried something really ambitious and it's natural that they should fail a little bit. That's like the generous reading is like, cause, cause yeah, like property developers being in in league with the corrupt uh, 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 sort of um, colonizers. Yeah, yeah, colonizers, oh, yeah. including with the local gangs. Like uh, that is a legitimate, that yeah, that's a complicated and very real, I'm sure corruptive and negative force in 1950s Hong Kong. So it, it's interesting to see them tackle that, but I think narratively, yeah, some some problems, it, some problems. It comes off as background. It comes off as setting. It's not foreground. It feels like. Am I wrong? And it's just and it's just yeah, it's I just mean, difficult. Yeah. It's just difficult for them to prop up a single. Like I think the Mike Tyson thread ends really perplexingly for me, where they have this they have yeah, this duel the and then fight. they like learn yeah. to respect <laughs> each other, and then Mike Tyson like looks at him weird, and then we just never see him again. And then I find it interesting yeah. they make a point to that Mike Tyson is a family man, <laughs> that it's like, he's got a daughter, she's got a balloon, he's got a, a lady with him. Like, yeah, yeah even they, they can't just have him be the bad guy. Even going to far as, going as far as to have a beat in the fight where Mike Tyson is punching out windows in the glasses, mm -hmm. falling, endangering his daughter, and the mom is like, take her out of the way. It's yeah. like, why are you staring directly at this glass? It's like falling directly down. But yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit more about this uh, this other character, this, this, um, this new... Yeah, uh, Jin Shi. I, I really appreciate him, and he sort of has this embodiment that reminds me a lot of tropes that are similar in, like, anime, where we have this, like, a very cool and friendly, not, uh, yeah, not cool, like, a friendly hero who is also, like, very powerful, and I would, like, compare him to, like, the Goku archetype, and then, uh, yeah, Shang Shi. Chang Tin Chi. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I'm still messing that up. But yeah, then this guy, he sort of represents, I would say, like the Vegeta archetype where he's like angrier and cooler and still like a, a good guy, so to speak. And I see this sort of dynamic a lot in like Japanese and Asian media, especially just in animation. And so I just found that to be interesting that it sort of shows up here. And I feel like it works really well because they have this nice little bit of conflict. And they like, yeah, he sh shows up and like... Yeah, it's all about, like, these styles and whose style is, like, the legitimate true one. And it leads up to this final climax of, you know, him <laughs> basically doing round for round, like, every single aspect of uh, of Wing Chun. But, yeah, just I, I really just appreciate just the, the dynamic and the chemistry. And I wonder what you guys felt about, you know, this other character. Sort of, like, I liked, just, you know, him just going around in, like, the mask and, like, the fight inside of the... The small, like, I don't know, the, the small shop or whatever. I, I don't know. It's like, I just like his, like, dynamic and his his energy seems to be really good. It's, like, opposed to the stoic, very calm Donnie Yen. You know, he's more, like, chaotic. Like, you know. I wish I had a better name for, like, that archetype. But, like, I feel like I've seen it a lot to the point where it's, like, it, it feels like a trope. Yeah, I, I think it's another element, another interesting thing that they appear to be trying 
is that he's a rickshaw puller. So there's this whole interesting class dimension. Mm. I don't, yes, I don't yeah. feel like it really, like everything else in the movie, it feels more grounded and more intriguing and makes more sense in the first half or in the first sort of two, uh, two acts. But, but yeah, there's, it's quite interesting that in this context of what I was just talking about, these like, you know, land developers and corrupt gangsters tied up to industry and uh, colonizers. It's interesting that this other element that you're describing, this sort of like chaotic or like more ambitious, more um, practical, yeah, very, less idealistic, new martial very artist. Cobra Kai. Yes. It's interesting yeah. that he's coming from, from the very bottom, the sort of mo most ex extreme form of, um, yeah, menial labor that we can probably think of in cities at that time. Yeah, and I like the beat of the landlord being like, oh, you're a rickshaw puller? There's no way you can, like, ha have a school and do this successfully. And it's, like, sort yeah. of, like, shaming him just because of what he does. And, yeah, like, his son sort of, like, looking at, like, yeah, interesting relationship with the son. Yeah. Well, then he has to go beat up another martial arts master yeah. and, like, send it, hospitalize them so that he can get the money to open his school. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, like, that element of the movie, the introduction of this other martial arts ma master, I feel like is something that, for me, it felt a little late. Um, I, and I feel like when I said when I said I felt myself getting bored during this movie, I think that was part of it. It's it's we're, we're the, the scene exists so that we can see this sort of dark side of Tin Shi, but. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it was just a little too late and for the introduction of the, uh, that character and for us to really care about what was going on there. I don't know how you felt. It's just too crowded. There's just too much stuff to develop any one thing to uh, as far as we might like. Yeah, I feel like they should have streamlined this because it's like the, the idea of that, like it man defending the school from this property developer. All good that was stuff. fun. Yeah. And then. And then, like, even, like, okay, his wife gets cancer, and how does that affect his ability to, you know, defend the school? How does that, like, impose upon his uh, sense of duty? Um, that's an interesting dynamic you can play with. Um, even the idea that someone else who's caught up in this madness is another parent who's also Wing Chun Master. All interesting. <laughs> but, yeah. but eventually we get to the place where he fights Mike Tyson, and the school... Conf the school plotline is resolved, and so all we're left with is him versus Tinchi and him and his wife. And it just feels like a lot of the momentum is lost. And I, I, I feel like the stuff with Mike Tyson, either it should have been extended, or maybe these things, the stuff with Tinchi should have wrapped up earlier. Um, yeah, there is an issue with, yeah, like those climaxes. Like, I think Tinchi. There's an alternate movie out there where he resolves things with Tin Chi, and then Tin Chi is uh, plays an important role in taking down Mike Tyson and into saving the school. Um, yeah, that would have been a, a a way more meatier fight if it was both of them versus him. Um, but you mentioned the thing about, about this movie being crowded. We still haven't even talked about the fact that they have Bruce Lee in this movie, like they oh, hint yeah, at him Bruce Lee in happens. the last one, <laughs> and he finally he shows up in this one, and Bruce, like they have like scenes. their little. Yeah, yeah. see, they have their sparring in the beginning, which is... I don't, I don't mind the Bruce Lee stuff too much, because I feel like in the beginning, it's just like, hey, you remember Bruce Lee at the end of the previous movie? Here he is. Yeah. And it, it's, like, it's like the movie hasn't even started yet. You can walk into the theater a little late. You can get your snacks. If you miss, miss the Bruce Lee at the beginning, you're not going to be totally confused. It's just like yeah. a, it's a little prologue sort of thing. Also... Yeah, and I guess... I, 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 uh, sorry, I guess I would say... It does feel like narrative economy if that's the character that eventually teaches it man how to dance and that's the, you know, <laughs> the thing that he wants to do to connect to his wife and so as far as like a screenwriting perspective i'm like i'm okay with that they didn't have to they didn't add someone extra to do that it had bruce lee show up and do this like romantic turn and like and so yeah. i'll teach you if you teach me type of thing and so yeah i really enjoy that little moment but yeah it, it does for me it's just like that was just like this emotional side just felt really melodramatic and really heavy and the other stuff is far more interesting and yeah like just like the all of the kids getting kidnapped and like them having to get like saved yeah. it's just like his just child like, gets kidnapped in this movie <laughs> yeah. like shouldn't that be a bigger deal like it yeah. comes and goes yeah it feels like a, like as it's happening i was like yeah this is like an incredible sequence in the making but yeah it, it doesn't like you know, fizzle out but yeah it does the fake out where he leaves and he comes back and saves him. But yeah, I don't know. 
this is pure <laughs> this is pure trivia um but wikipedia informs me that the plan for the bruce lee stuff was to completely cgi like a, a bruce this, lee yeah. from scratch but then like the estate oh, like whoever yeah whoever needs to like rubber stamp that um from his estate was like kind of horrified by this this yeah. plan uh, imagine that so they wound up like finding, so. yeah so they wound up finding this they guy have done it. but yeah release that cut <laughs> i want to see yeah the freakish bruce lee cut um this is also I, this is also the um switch up from the previous other two films like gavin mentioned are choreographed by um Samuel Hung, yeah. Hmm. And this this film is the switch up to Yuan Wuping, the probably okay. the most prominent fight choreographer in the world. The guy, the guy who did the Matrix movies and obviously has an esteemed uh, career in in Hong Kong and internationally. So it's interesting to interesting to note the sort of switch up and and some changes in the choreography. I don't know if that weighs on what Daniel was describing earlier as the sort of um, Bollywood inten intensity of some of the stylization stylization in the uh, in the second one, but in the previous movie, I mean, yeah, it's it's really good stuff here. There's a scene where he's fighting the Muay Thai guy, and we have this sort of top down perspective as they're it, it's kind of a long shot. They're like fighting down these stairs, and the shot ends with the Muay Thai guy getting like kicked down the stairs. Um, yeah, 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 that's a good one. There's some really fun stuff in here, and then the sword fight. Honestly, I had a note where. Uh, where Ip Man and Tinchi are fighting with swords at the end, that I was hoping that they would cut each other's clothes off, like in the Animatrix. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. No, Sand. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. I also appreciate the just the like the sheer peril of his child screaming constantly through like the first like the portion of like when the fight is happening and the kid is just like just standing there just just screaming in place while all this other stuff is happening it's just a really a, it just i don't know just that just felt it, like interesting to me just because i don't know it, it didn't like not, i don't want to say like it's funny or anything like that because this movie doesn't feel like it has as many comedic pieces the one before but yeah it just just seems like odd to have the kid there and like that much fear and just kind of just not being addressed i mean there is something comedically insane about the idea that these guys just resort to kidnapping children and saying we're gonna sell them into slavery yeah. like that was like raising the stakes in a i don't know a pretty astonishing way yeah and actually i take that back the way that mike tyson moves in this movie is very inhuman it feels it feels like i was watching a video game the way he's sliding and gliding around during that fight and yeah, it's just very absurd just seeing this really bulk of a person who I've seen fight in real life fight this like fight in like this movie context. And so I don't know. What did you guys think about that? I think the the Mike Tyson performance is uh, a bit a bit painful. Uh, <laughs> they keep they keep I could you can kind of feel the filmmakers like struggling to help him out. I think where it's like yeah. you know they've got these very specific cutaways in the fight where you can just hear the director behind the scenes being like. All right, now now you're you're shaking your hand off because it hurt to it hurt to punch him like that, but like the res the result is just not quite yeah. But the fighting the fighting is yeah. It's I'm not sure what to say. It's also, like how do you what is the experience of directing Mike Tyson like? Like, are you like afraid to correct him? Is Let's he like to very to open to feedback? <laughs> um, I like his dub. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just the going back and forth between yeah, like the Cantonese and then English, and yeah, just the, the the contrast of styles is just really strange, and it's it's not quite as emotional and deep as the fight with Twister at the end of two. Right, like, they you know, already kind of it, did it. Yeah, it's yeah. like that's where it's like, oh, his best friend has been killed and all that. This is more just like this is. It feels like this is a part of the movie where the mo like the the filmmakers like, okay, we really just need to do something like fucking crazy and just like, yeah. So, like, and so the emotions that the audience is bringing to the table are based on external information, which is that this is Mike Tyson. It's not based on like what the movie is doing dramatically, um, and so that's what makes this uh, a fun and perhaps satisfying fight scene yeah but um, I, I agree with what max said it does end abruptly and i i mean i appreciate like the, the the timer like the egg timer thing and they sort of get to the moment where they just like stop in like a little tableau type of thing but 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think you, you're right where it could have been a little bit more substantial or tied into what's going on with, like, this landlord thing and the schools and all of that. But, yeah, it's more just, like, we just want a fun fight, and it's going to be, like, midway through the movie, not not going to distract too much from the climax of the actual film. So it's not going to yeah. be too long either. Yeah, the actual climax has nothing to do with this. <laughs> yeah. When, uh, yeah, was... Thomas, you were, you were just talking about, like, the like struggling to describe the effect uh, that having it Ben's child just like screaming at the same sort of pitch and crying at the same sort of pitch, like through the background of this whole long scene has on the audience. And yeah, and yeah, you also mentioned like the, the, that they go out of their way to give Mike Tyson, like make him a family man and give him this little daughter mm -hmm. and, and the other martial arts rival. Also, there's a big thing made, made out of him having a son who's it Ben's, uh, it Ben's son's age. So it could be interesting. And then obviously the entire plot uh, of this movie it depends heavily on the, on the wife. Um, okay. So maybe it would be interesting to talk about throughout, throughout the franchise, but especially in this film, like the sort of thematics of family, like what's going on? Like, what is this film trying <laughs> yeah. to say about like, is it man a good husband? Like what kind of, a here's the question. What kind of a husband and father is it man? Because well, I'll, I'll, go ahead. so far the first three movies have made a point of saying that like, so like as this movie was starting, I turned to Emily and I was like, yeah, it's like a weird thing in these movies that they keep showing that he's like kind of a shitty father and kind of a <laughs> shitty husband. And then as the movie progresses, we see him missing a date with his wife. Um, I don't know, like his kids are getting his kids getting into a fight because perhaps because he set a poor example or he didn't like give him the right sort of guidance that he needed. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's like this recurring thing that it man's not a he's not a great husband and he doesn't become a great husband until, uh, you know, death becomes a factor impending death. Um, yeah. And I honestly, that's such a great point. I felt like I was missing something because in the second film there well, he has a kid and there's a whole pr plot of the pregnancy and having another but in this film i felt like there was just one like it was like, yeah there's a vanishing of a child there's an so older it, child that doesn't appear anyway yeah so to answer your question yes yeah, man is a terrible father yeah he didn't even notice passage, there's a child missing <laughs> the, that child <laughs> that child is referenced in the opening title card so the okay. child is studying in Foshan, which is where ah, it man is from okay. It man ah, is okay, living okay. in Hong Kong, but his child is away studying in Porsche. Yeah. But yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Take it back. You, it man gets they never conveyed the news that, you know, his mother had cancer. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah. That's just one small little thing where I was like, okay, I, I just, it, yeah, it came very early. Maybe if I would have done my due diligence and watched it the second time. No, I hear you. <laughs> no, I miss that too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, it's a tiny blink and you miss it. But yeah, so he's he's established as this really bad father and he's, you know, up to his worst in this one. And then the wife, you know, is like, okay, I'm going to die. You know, I, I have <laughs> cancer now. And he starts behaving differently. But then in the climax, the wife is like, oh, no, you've actually right before the climax and the sort of emotional climax, the wife is like, no, actually, you've been a great husband this whole time. You've been you've been wonderful. And and uh like she asks, she gives him this sort of test and is like, if it wasn't for me, you would be, you know, out doing your martial arts thing right now and like defending Wing Chun and having a duel with this guy. And he's like, yeah, that's probably true. And she's like, well, that's the man I love. So you got to yeah. go be him. So actually you shouldn't be here with me right now. You should be fighting him. And I've already made an appointment is, for you to do that. This, this yeah. is so true. So it, so that was really complicated for me where I was just like, is the, am I just supposed to not believe her? Am I just supposed to, that's kind of where I was at was like, okay, I think she's just saying some selfless stuff so that we like her more. But if we take her at her word, it's really complicated. Yeah, this is true. Cause yeah, her relationship is very vocal in these, in the first two installments when it's always like, no, I don't want you fighting. You need to spend more time with me. I don't want you fighting. Then yeah. this sort of gets family. one over in the first one. And then in the second one, she's yeah, definitely like rooting from the sidelines, but just more like, yeah, going to put the family away just cause it's dangerous. Uh, yeah, here it's like, yeah, the, her last words are literally like, I want to see you do the practice thing one more time. And they have this moment where he 
like is he starts to practice with the wooden man and like pauses and then keeps going and it, it made me choke up a little bit because it's like yeah donnie yen's performance is like really really great in that moment because we don't really see him do anything quite like this in these other movies where yeah it's like he does some stuff in the ring but i feel like this is as tender and raw as it gets as far as it concerned with like yeah dealing with the family and dealing with those themes in conjunction with yeah him doing his art but yeah I, what you said is it rings very true, the fact that, yeah, she's sort of like, no, yeah, I want you to be fighting right now. It seems very, very conflicted. Yeah, I feel like we need an alternate cut of the franchise from Wing Sing's perspective, E-Man's wife, because... Yeah. Agreed. As I'm remembering it, in the first movie, yeah, her her story is, uh, you spend too much time fighting, you need to spend more time with your family to, look, I understand you need to go fuck that guy up. And then in the second movie, is it... Is it kind of the same? I'm, I'm struggling to remember. Well, she's dealing with the pregnancy, and then it's like, it's too dangerous. Oh, she I leaves. Do. He sends her away. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like, look, I got to fight someone. I got to train, and I got to fight someone. You got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> too dangerous. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then now she's like, yes, I. you got to go fight people again. I'm dying. Please go fight someone. Oh. Yeah, it's super, super melodramatic. And as I was watching it, I was like, man, this is just just objectively, I was like, as a Kung Fu movie, this is very much like a bummer. But <laughs> but as like an It Man movie, I was like, okay, like I, I absolutely understand wanting to go into this territory. And I think what you mentioned, Max, is really important. Yeah, it's like this movie is about this man's life and, and how he sort of evolved, you know, dealing with like sort of, I guess, a very local not a local but like a colonial conflict on a more local eastern scale to like a, a war conflict on a grander like world war Two scale and now he's dealing with you know something that's a little bit more like uh theoretical someone's challenging just like the way he fights period and i don't know I, although of course I, I, go ahead i, I was just saying i i, I like the the it feels like we're sort of zooming out each one in each installment we're sort of just like you know as far as why he's doing the fighting that he's supposed to be doing and like, you know, what he's defending. And I get that. Yeah. We want, we want to have some good emotional connection here, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. This is really crowded. It's just a lot of characters here. Um, so let me ask something, each of you, what is this movie ultimately about? Yeah. I, what I was, what I was about to say was just, it is, it is consistent in the sense of, in the broadest possible way, they're all grappling with um, how do we, how do people responsibly reconcile their self-interests with the interests of like larger communities or the interests of their their families even. So there's always some tension there, like especially since Ip Man's like martial arts practice is almost is it is a whole ethos in and of itself, right? He's like a yeah. he's like a gentleman and he practices martial arts. And his whole way of relating to other people is sort of like built around that. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, as, as for what it's about, so I would say that, I would say it's, it's placing in that sort of slot of the oppressor, oppressive social system or the like anta the antagonist slot is being occupied by government corruption and, uh, and like economic interests. As to what it's about, yeah, I don't think I could do better than kind of what I was trying yeah, to yeah. use now. Like, that, how is it? How is Ip Man going to balance his responsibilities to his wife and his family um, versus his responsibilities as sort of this very particular idealistic type of gentleman, martial arts practitioner? Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. it's a really tricky juggling act because, yeah. I think this movie, it sort of gets addressed a little bit. We mentioned this in the first one where there's a line from the wife when she said, like, how often can you watch Kung Fu? And, you know, we're a joke. We're like, yeah, like, we never get tired of this. But, you know, it, it does beg the question. You know, I was like, there has to be some, some sort of, you know, it can't just be fights for nothing. And so it has to be something else. And so, you know, what do you fill that space up with? And especially when you're dealing with a character, a, a man who's real, a man who, like, did actual things and, you know, like what influence real people and influence the culture in a real way. And so, yeah, there it's one of those things where you, there's probably too many things to talk about. So you know, it's hard. To, I don't know how you could condense this. There's this franchise, there's a uh, Wong Kar Wai's uh, grandmaster yeah, series. Yeah. So like there's yeah, been several and various attempts to, you know, tell this man's life in a way. And so I, yeah, I, I guess I do appreciate it for trying to just 
cover a lot of things, but yeah, it is a little, a little shaky at some points. In a, um, in a previous vague zone, Daniel mentioned that like, you mentioned that what interested you about the franchise, you were like, I just want more of like the, these different like martial arts schools sort of like competing with one another and like having their, their strange uh, rivalries. And mm -hmm. I really, I relate to that. Like part of what's interesting about the historical milieu that Ip Man was part of and that sort of Foshan world that gets written about endlessly is that that was, you know, happening to some extent that there were these um, sort of like fraternal organizations. There were these, these groups um, building around, I, I don't know how many of them were aristocratic like Ip Man, but around sort of people of, of means who also had martial arts skills and then mm -hmm. yeah getting into fights and fulfilling a real it seems like a real um social role that i assume is related to sort of things that the state can't or won't do um you know like yeah. like like if someone crosses you or wrongs you the imperial authorities might not be you know available or, or they might not care or you might not have recourse to them but what if you and all of your male friends are part of a like secret society that some other people know about? And all they know about this is that you guys hang out and practice martial arts all the time and claim to have like special abilities. Maybe they won't, maybe they'll think twice about, you know, crossing you. But yeah, yeah. And and that stuff is always very interesting to me in the franchise as well. And you saying that makes me think of uh, the whole like fraternity thing. It makes me think of the moment in two where they're like in jail after this conflict and they're like, they're getting sort of bailed out by the landlord who basically provided him the space to teach the school anyway. So I feel like it's just like this, this connection where like, it's the same person who, I don't know if it's the, not the same person who is running the newspaper, but I don't know. Just the fact that it man, uh, Yip man gets his uh, nephew a job at the newspaper. I don't know. It's just this like connection that fraternal. It, I, I feel that. Does that wrap it up for Yip Man 3? Any final I thoughts? I can't wait to hear what you guys think of uh, number 4. I, I won't be around for it, but 4 four definitely, I don't know what you'll think about like the action or the quality <laughs> of the filmmaking, um, but the thematics are definitely fascinating and the stuff that it's explored, the history and the stuff that it's exploring and trying to grapple with is uh, definitely fascinating. So looking forward to your thoughts on that. Definitely. I think as far as final thoughts go, um, so like I said, I, I feel like this is a little bit shapeless that I could have used a rewrite or something, something to tighten it up. But I think if the idea is that ultimately this is about, you know, it man struggling with uh, a sense of duty versus a responsibility that he has to his family, um, then I think we needed more time with his family. <laughs> uh, if what he's, if what we're getting at with his uh, protecting of the school is that he's sort of, you know, he's fulfilling his role as a martial arts master, but not fulfilling his role as a father and a husband. Um, and then we're also getting that with um, him going up against Tinchi to determine who is the Wing Chun Grandmaster. Um, then I think we just need more time with his family to, and more conflict with his family to counterbalance that. And yeah. That's yeah. It. I'm kind of with you on that. Yeah. I think this one, it's, it's good. It's, it, it has stuff in it that I really like, and I think it definitely, I feel like it's benefiting from a little bit of a bump in production quality and a, a just a bump in just recognition. The fact that, yeah, they were able to get, like, you know, this this real heavyweight fighter in this movie and just kind of integrate him in a way that feels like it kind of is realistic and works is also kind of, you know, it's like, hey, sure. Like, it's kind of like a why not type of thing in the movie where they're having fun and they're having a good time with it. And, yeah, it, it's, there's there's a lot of really rich things as far as, like, how this movie is placed as far as like, the, the uh, cultural context and the stuff it's talking about. So yeah, I, it's like, I appreciate the ambition of it a lot, but yeah, just when it comes down to watching it, I, yeah, I sort of drifted away from this a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Um, what have you been watching lately? Uh, Max, would you like to go first? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, on the sort of also on the it man note, I want to make sure to shout out uh, Accented Cinema. I'm not sure if you guys know this YouTube channel. Amazing video essayist. Um, it focuses a lot on on uh, Chinese uh, cinema or sort of cinema in Greater China, but it's not really limited to that. And they're they're really lovely videos. I think he's got at least two great essays on the Ip Man 
franchise. So shout out to Accented Cinema. Um, and, And other stuff that I've been watching, I also, in the form of a shout out, uh, I really recommend on YouTube, there's a, a University of British Columbia initiative. The YouTube channel is called Modern Chinese Cultural Studies, which is always really hard for me to remember, but Modern Chinese Cultural Studies. Uh, they upload, they've been uploading and subtitling tons of amazing features um, from the 20s, the 30s, the 40s oh. um, from China, stuff that is has been difficult to see, um, actually, oh, wow. and especially difficult to to see with uh, translation with subtitles. So you should definitely um, check those out. I've been sort of watching them in reverse. So my recommendations uh, would be stuff like Crows and Sparrows, uh, which is really amazing. And shoot, uh, what was the other one? Oh yeah, Long Live the Misses and Love Everlasting, which are two features um, co-written, I believe, at least co-written, possibly written entirely by uh, Zhang Ailin, sort of story, uh-huh. storied uh, Chinese fiction writer. But both are amazing screenplays, okay. um, amazing uh, sort of uh, comedy features. So definitely check out that, that YouTube channel. Yeah, I'm scrolling through modern Chinese cultural studies, and there's like a lot of content on here. There's a lot of videos. It's great stuff. Great. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. Thomas, how about you? Um, this week, I saw the Forever Purge in theaters. Oh, so, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I this is a this is an interesting one because the first uh, the first four yeah the first four are like they deal like it's basically it's dealing with like class conflicts dealing with black and white that's basically sort of what's going on in those first four more so in the fourth and the fourth film in the franchise the first purge is a primarily black primarily black cast it takes place in staten island and it's 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 very much like uh like a black as fuck movie this one the forever purge it takes place in texas and it's basically it's about the border situation between uh, U.S. and Mexico, and for that, I think it benefits from like the setting change, like just having stuff take place in like the broad daylight of Texas, and people, you know, they're like the the cost purse costumes with like you know cowboy hats and like longhorns and shit. It's just it's a lot of fun having that because the first four movies all took place at night, all are just like really dark, like one or like either one location or just like in the streets of Los Angeles and just the grimy alleyways that are just like green and blue and and so it's all very identical but in this one it's it just feels very different and so a lot of as far as like it does things that are were really interesting to me yeah as far as like the politics <laughs> really messy there's a lot of lines in there that are I would like that seemed really misguided where it seems like it's suggesting um, segregation at one point. <laughs> like one of the characters is just like, yeah, it's like, I'm not racist. I just believe in separation. And then the guy's just like, yeah, like, okay. And there's like just no response to it. So that's kind of fucked up. But besides that, <laughs> that, that aside, um, it, I enjoyed watching it as far as the purge movie. I think like the purge stuff in it is like, is really good and really entertaining and, yeah, I had a good time watching it. And while I was getting my gas this morning, I saw a gentleman, a very threatening, I'll just say he was a big, bigger white guy. And I was like, this guy looks like he's kind of kind of sketchy. But then he starts asking me about my car. And he's like, yeah, I want to buy my son that same kind of car. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then I noticed his license plate says purge on it. And I just, I just kind of laughed. And I was like, oh, man, like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel even more conflicted than I did before talking to <laughs> this gentleman. Music. That's all yeah, definitely, cue, definitely cue the the countdown and talking about it. And yeah, I, I don't know. It just it was just really interesting that. And then I've been watching The Sopranos because I've been looking for just a a dense show. And I tried watching it before and couldn't really get into it. But now I have some some time to sit down and watch wow. some stuff. So yeah, how many seasons they, is Sopranos? See, there's six seasons. Um, it's the six the six is split in half. But yeah, there's just six seasons. And yeah, pretty solid. Um, James Gandolfini is fantastic, and the trailer for uh, Saints of Newark just dropped this past week, and so a prequel movie is coming out. And so it's kind of a good time to hop on the Sopranos hype train. Yeah. Was it good to be back in the theater for the new Purge? Yeah, this is. I think this is like my third time being in theaters since quarantine. The first was 
Godzilla vs. Kong with <laughs> Daniel, and then we saw A Quiet Place 2, and then, yeah, uh, Forever Purge. Um, um, did we ask you? What did you watch this no, week? No, I've been... Wa- <laughs> I watched... Um, I think you should leave season two. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to get to that. <laughs> it's uh, Max. Are you familiar with? I think you should leave. I don't think so. <laughs> so it's a sketch comedy show. It's this guy Tim Robinson. He used to write for SNL. Um, I think he got fired after one season, unless the meme I read was incorrect. <laughs> but uh, it couldn't be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, it's basically uh, these sketches. These sketches are mostly built around someone telling a lie and refusing to give up on that lie. <laughs> That's a good um, way I think to that is a it. lot of what these sketches are. Stressful. Or, yeah, a, someone just doing something that they shouldn't and absolutely committing to it. Um, this season, though, had some pretty interesting stuff. He, he's pretty playful with, um, I don't know, some of this stuff gets really surreal. Like, there's a there's a sketch that's about it's sort of like a tv ad where this man is begging you to call your cable company so they don't cancel this station which has been airing this tv program called corpse flops about uh it's just hours and hours of footage uh, of corpses falling out of the bottom of coffins at funerals um (laughs) and yeah he's very uh energetic and very excited about corpse flops and (laughs) he's very defensive of corpse flops um I don't know. It's, it's great. T- very, <laughs> yeah, it's like it reminds me of Tim and Eric, but like it's it's just different. It, it's it's a lot it's louder. A, it's a lot of yeah. screaming. Um, yeah, <laughs> it is. I feel like I'm not doing a very good job of selling this. I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed. <laughs> it's a lot of screaming. It is a lot of screaming. It is hard to binge watch. Every episode is 15 minutes long, and it's probably because they focus tested it and realized that no one could withstand that much screaming. Um, but yeah, it's great. Check it out. <laughs> Where do you watch this? This is on Netflix. This is gotcha. a, it's a Netflix original. Um, but yeah, they have a great sketch where uh, some people are arguing at a party. He decides he's going to save the party. He puts a Blues Brothers song on and starts dancing with sunglasses and a hat. And a dog is barking at him for like a full three minutes. The dog just keeps barking. Everyone is panicking. Uh, it's really good. Solid. Yeah, it's very surreal. Very yeah, I, um, remind me of the actor's name again. Uh, Tim Robinson. Yeah, Tim Robinson, and yeah, he's great. He's very energetic, and he also gets uh, Sam Richardson on there as one of yeah. his like colleagues. And Sam Richardson is great. Um, uh, Connor yeah. O'Malley shows up a few times. He's also oh, a very cool. loud and bizarre comedian. Um, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to mention today, or I think today or yesterday, the Emmy nominations came out, and there's just been a lot of just talk about all of the things. Don Cheadle got nominated for his cameo in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. (laughs) And I only remember, did he even say anything in that show? He's he's in it for two minutes. Okay. Okay. I just remember cutting to him at at like a memorial, and that's it. Yeah, he's basically, he's not in it for very long, and... Yeah, people like I'm not too disappointed. Like most of the shows that I watch got nominated in one way or another. I still think it's really perplexing when like there'll be a section like best supporting actor in a comedy and there'll be like four of those actors are nominated like from the show. I was like, how's every actor in the show nominated? Like how, like I don't I don't understand that. Yeah. But in the, yeah, I don't know. People are kind of bummed that um I May Destroy You didn't get nominated for Best Drama Series. It got nominated for, like, Best Limited. Some, some people huh. are screaming snub. And okay. I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy like, it's nominated. Uh, Lovecraft Country got nominated a lot for a lot of things. Yeah, um, so. did, I think Lovecraft Country, didn't HBO say they're not picking it up for a second season? Yeah, no. Yeah. It's over. And, and now it's Emmy nominated. Yeah, which I mean, that I mean, it's fine. I, I feel like if it gets some accolades on the way out, that's that that's cool too. Michaela Cole, she's she's gonna do totally fine. Like Issa Rae, she's gonna do totally fine. Like they got a lot of people supporting them. So yeah, yeah I just wish. Yeah, it is a bummer for not like the full on drama nomination for arguably the best drama of last year, but it is yeah. what it is. Award shows. That's it is amazing. what it is. Yeah. Did you guys see uh, FF9? Fast and the Furious 9? F9, no. No? <laughs> no, I want to. All right. I, it's playing at the drive-in, and I feel like that's the perfect 
absolutely uh, ambiance for it so on theme just rev my engine the entire movie oh yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah no i haven't seen a fast and the furious movie since the third one and so i think if if i go back into a guy you know i want to do it on the show and do a do a dive and, that sounds oh, great shit make sounds, we're gonna do Dan, fucking nine Daniel movies yes yes <laughs> plus hobbs and shaw so oh, 10 god we're gonna do <laughs> Uh, I mean, the first one's great. <laughs> the first one is just Point Break with cars. Um, don't count out Tokyo Drift. Don't count out Tokyo yeah, Drift. Uh, yeah, things things don't get interesting until Tokyo Drift. I've heard Tokyo. Why isn't that the second movie? Oh no, it's, it's the, the third. third one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, when they start getting ambitious. I've heard Tokyo Drift is one of the better ones. Oh which yeah. Is oh yeah. Intimidating. Which is insane to hear in a yeah. nine franchise film. Nice, sorry, a nine movie <laughs> a franchise with nine films in it. That the third one set in Tokyo is the best was one of the best ones. I mean, Especially. I feel like F9 it's been out for a while already, so I feel like I kind of missed out on like the opening weekend crowd. Like I want to know like what is the crowd that like camps out opening night, you know? Sure. For F9. It just yeah, reminds me I of I could get I could take a guess. <laughs> like I knew kids in high school who like claimed to do uh car racing, street racing and stuff and I think they were just all full of shit, like I don't know. They yeah, just, they meet yeah. up in parking lots to get stopped at red lights. Fast heads. What do you call these fans? Gearheads. Furios. Furios. Oh, I like Furios. <laughs> Furios. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's even more Mad Maxi. All right. All right. Thank okay. you guys so much for having me on again. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Thank you for suggesting this um, really fantastic franchise. I've been so, sorry, we can't have you on for four. Next time. Another time. Another time. Yeah. If you want to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us on Twitter, at vaguezone. <laughs> yeah, so if you have questions, comments, or concerns, hit us up. If you want to suggest a franchise, if you want to let us know that we should be watching the entire Hellraise series next, you should let us know that, because we'll watch every single one, and we will comment on it, plot point by plot point. Aren't there That's like 13 of those movies now? That's a vague zone <laughs> promise. We'll do every single plot point of every single Hellraise film. So, yes, this has been episode 46 of Vague Zone. Again, thank you so much, Max, for joining us. Yeah. Yep. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. Good night, Tim. <laughs>